Venerable Fulton Sheen writes that life may be like a game of cards. We cannot help the hand that's dealt us, but we can help the way we play it. Why does God allow suffering in our lives? And how can our suffering be redemptive? Welcome to the Catholic Podcast. I'm your host for today's episode, Chloe Langer. I'm joined here today by Dave Staples from Holy Family School of Faith here in the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thanks Thank for you, Chloe. On. Great to sit down with you this morning. So today our topic for the podcast is suffering, which is a heavy topic for an early morning recording session. So True. <laughs> we have a lot of coffee and it's going to be a beautiful discussion. Dave, can you start off by sharing how seeing an icon of a large Catholic family has changed your perspective on what suffering means as a Catholic? Yeah, sure. I love icons. And it struck me when I saw, uh, like you said, an icon of a very large family, uh, nine kids to be exact. In this icon, you don't often see icons of families, right? Unless it's the holy family. And so I saw this icon, it struck me because my wife and I have seven kids at home, recently seven. Our house is often a glimpse of hell. (laughs) Wailing and gnashing of teeth is how Christ described hell, and that's a pretty apt description of our home most times. So anyway, I saw this large family in this icon. I thought, friends. Mm -hmm. I've got friends here in heaven who have this experience. Uh, They can pray for me. So I looked into this icon, and it was Saints Louis and Zelie Martin, the parents of Therese of Lisieux, and started to read some books on, on this family, and now this icon is hanging in our home, and our family has quite a devotion uh, to this family, and we can feel them praying for us. One of the traditions of the Martin household was something called sacrifice beads. A friend had given me a set of sacrifice beads years ago and told me how to use them, but I didn't know much else about them. And I started to look into this tradition as I was reading more about Louis and Zelie Martin and, and Therese of Lisieux. I had that opportunity as well. And you may have seen these before. They, they look like a mini rosary, 10 beads. A crucifix on one end of you? I have. I grew up with sacrifice beads in my pocket. Oh, probably second or third grade. I read about St. Therese with my family. And yeah, my mom had us make sacrifice beads and picked the colors and picked the crucifix and put them in our pocket. Pulled a bead for each sacrifice that you make yeah. throughout the day. Yeah, so people probably see these in a Catholic store. Yeah. And they look like mini rosaries. And you could use it to yeah. pray a decade, certainly. Uh, but the difference is in the construction. You can move the bead, like you said, and mm-hmm. it stays in place. You should move these beads every time you make a sacrifice. These are often called Therese beads. But as I was reading, I found that this originated with Zelie. Excuse me, we don't know if it originated with Zelie, but we can trace it back to Zelie, St. Zelie, who gave this to Therese when she was very young, uh, before St. Zelie died. And we actually have traditions of Therese using these beads later on in the convent as she suffered or sacrificed. Uh, for an older and quite difficult nun in the convent, uh, she would reach in to her pocket and move one of these beads to the crucifix, uh, uniting her little sacrifice or suffering, as a, giving it as a gift to Christ, uniting it with his on the cross. And she would often do it for her father, who was uh, at home suffering. She was a cloistered nun. She couldn't visit her father. And so she'd offer these, these sacrifices for her father, which is beautiful, isn't it, knowing that Zelie had this wonderful practice of this doctrine, offering suffering up for another. 
which the church teaches us to do, which mm-hmm. we're going to talk about. Her mother handing this tradition on to her um, in this rather sacramental way. Yeah. So I was struck by this, and uh, I, I love the tradition of sacrifice beads. I'm using them myself and uh, that's awesome. And trying to teach my kids how to use them. Yeah, yeah. This is beautiful, too, because we just celebrated the Martin's Feast Day yesterday on yesterday, Thursday. Yeah, yes. they're such a beautiful family. Yeah, I love, too, St. Therese is a reluctant saint friend of mine. Not on her part. She's very per- persuasive as a saint friend. I was the reluctant one. How I've slowly come to learn about St. Therese's little way, and I love how the sacrifice mm. speeds also encompass this little way where it's just it's one sacrifice it's something small but even the small things can make a difference when it comes to our spiritual life which with redemptive suffering yeah we're going to be talking about can you tell a little bit about the difference between physical suffering spiritual desolation and the different ways that we experience suffering our lord obviously didn't intend suffering for Mm us wanted nothing but goodness and gift for us but in the condition of the broken human world the suffering we will inevitably all encounter in many ways, whether illness and bodily pain, many of us experience psychological suffering, difficulties, trials, persecutions, criticisms, loneliness, and maybe the most difficult to deal with are injustices committed towards us, especially by uh, loved ones, maybe loved ones who have never said I'm sorry or mm-hmm. uh, have never recognized that they've harmed us in some way. So we experience all of these kinds of sufferings. I think this little tradition leads us to reflect on the way Christ can work through these sufferings, through the power of his cross. To Really, it has two powers, one to benefit us and one to benefit others. Christ redeems suffering and, and gives it these two powers. So let's talk about that first power. How can our suffering benefit others? And whose example can we learn from as Catholics when it comes to suffering well? Great question. Our model is always Our Lady. Mm -hmm. And the Catechism speaks into this. says our mother, she's our mother who cares for us. She's our model. She's our primary example. Well, at the foot of the cross, Mm -hmm. experiencing her own spiritual crucifixion, John Paul II called it. She necessarily offers her own suffering in union with her sons on the cross for us and for our redemption. And by the way, I, she's our spiritual mother of perpetual help. I'm sure you've seen that icon. Yes. Holding her child whose slipper has broken and is, is hanging off because he's seen the two archangels, Michael and Gabriel, holding the instruments of his passion. He's run to his mother who comforts him. And she too, is. she loves us. She's close to us. She wants to help us through this, help us in our own suffering. St. Paul's a great example for this. This is what he's trying to tell us. And we've seen these readings in the the liturgies over the last couple weeks. Yeah. This thorn that's in my side, these many sufferings I've faced, and I'm pulling from several readings here, I offer them for what is lacking in Christ's passion for us. Now, you and I know that Mm -hmm. Christ's passion is not lacking any redemptive power for us, right? The power of the cross could redeem the world many times over. So what's Paul saying? He's trying to tell us, that Christ gives us the opportunity to offer our sacrifices and sufferings with his on the cross for the sake of others. He gives our suffering an incredible dignity and power. Faustina suffered badly from tuberculosis and other ailments. She's a great model for us as well. And this is what Jesus told Faustina. I love this quote. My daughter, I want to instruct you on how you are to rescue souls through sacrifice and prayer. You will save more souls through prayer and suffering 
Then will a missionary, through his teachings and sermons alone. That's from her diary. If our suffering has that kind of redemptive power, we shouldn't let any of our suffering go to waste, mm-hmm. right? We yeah. need to be offering it up every day, every suffering, every sacrifice. I love how the Catholic understanding of suffering is such a hopeful understanding of suffering. Mm. How in today's world where there isn't a knowledge of there is something to come, this has a purpose. It can be easy to despair through this purposeless suffering if there's no understanding of the redemption of suffering. Yeah, and how much the Catholic understanding brings in this, your suffering has a purpose. And it isn't because God hates you, but instead he's offering an invitation for you to join him and to unite your sufferings to him on the cross. Yes, I love that. In our human experience, what else would we do with our suffering Mm -hmm. if Christ hadn't done that for us? Yeah, very much so. A phrase that I've heard my mom say, but also friends when I was growing up in Catholic circles is like, well, you should just offer it up, (laughs) (laughs) which isn't just this cop out. No, it isn't just like, well, just suck it up and deal with it. But instead, yeah, we are called to offer things up. What can we offer up to the Lord when it comes to our suffering? My one of the founders of the organization I work for, Holy Family School of Faith, Mike Scherzlick sums it up brilliantly, I think, when he says we can offer up anything we do not like cannot change or did not choose. And your experience reminds me of my oldest son. I had been trying to teach, he's 10. I've been trying to teach him this. And not too long ago, I was so proud of him. I walked into his room. He had a tummy ache. He's laying on his bed. And I said, Jacob, did you offer it up? And he said, yes, dad. And he told me who he'd offered it up for. And I was so proud of him. Uh, So, you know, we we can teach. We can not only live this out ourselves, but teach young people. I love Mike's last point, something that you don't choose and being able to offer that up. So before I got married in January of 2017, I flew out to California with a friend and went on a silent retreat with Father Jacques Philippe, which was an incredibly beautiful experience. And in this, he was talking, the theme of this retreat was peace and interior peace. And it was through the season of Advent, which was really beautiful. Um, And working through a lot of things in my own interior life before getting married and just being able to take a chance for silence. He has this beautiful book called It's Searching for and Maintaining Peace, which I'll put a link to in the show notes if if listeners wanna check that out. But in this book, he writes, it is precisely then in these seasons of things we don't choose, in order to become truly free, that we are often called to choose to accept what we didn't want and even what we would not have wanted at any price. There is a paradoxical law of human life here. One cannot be truly free unless one accepts not always being free. And I love that. So even though we don't choose these circumstances, we can still choose how we interact. Like our choice isn't gone. It's something that we can choose to interact with in that season of suffering. So we can still choose love, which I love that. Um, Amen. We are free to Mm -hmm. love. So we've established what our suffering can do when it comes to the lives of others who we interact with when we unite our suffering to that of Christ on the cross. When exactly should we offer those things up? Well, the most appropriate time, of course, would be at Mass. Mm -hmm. uh, At the offering, we can offer our sufferings with Christ there since we are encountering him on the cross at Mass, his Paschal mystery. But really, any time is a great time, even in the moment. Uh, just make an offering in the moment. Jesus, I offer this in union with your cross for someone I'm thinking about or love or a situation. And if this helps, use sacrifice beads. Yeah, they're good too. I was reminded recently of how uh, how much we are a sacramental people in need of sacraments and sacramentals or how helpful they can be to us. I was really struggling offering up suffering not too long ago. 
And yet I had to give a talk on this very topic. A week later, a friend of mine who had listened to that talk, mm -hmm. uh, can I give shout outs? Yes, shout out to Dan, <laughs> friend of mine in Olathe. He comes up and hands me sacrifice beads. Mine had broken a year before. Mm. And it transformed my whole week. My faith, my commitment to offering up suffering, even extra sacrifices for people, uh, was transformed by having this sacramental back in my pocket because of the gift of my friend Dan. So we can use sacrifice beads. It's helpful, too, to have a, a list of people we're regularly praying for because mm -hmm. then we're thinking of them. We love them. And as you said, we want to be free to love, even through our suffering. Mm -hmm. We'll be reminded that we can offer this suffering for someone we care about. Yeah, I love how you mentioned being able to offer that in the Mass and how often for me, the offering is one place where I can check out like, oh, everyone's bringing their gifts to the altar. We're going to have someone process up with the gifts and then I'll check back in like, oh, the Eucharistic prayer is starting. But how beautiful offering your sacrifices to the Lord in that moment of offering in the mass can connect you. And for me, mm. bring myself back to like being fully present. And so it's just like those little mm. things in the mass where here's a time where I can offer that sacrifice up and being able to be fully intentional with that time with our Lord. That's beautiful. Mm. Great reminder. I need every time that I record a podcast, it's always the podcast I need to listen to. So this and is <laughs> every time I get to teach on this, it's always a great reminder for me. Yep. Yep. Amen. What do we gain in our lives by offering our suffering to the Lord? And how does he use our suffering in our spiritual lives? Yes, it has an incredible redemptive power for us too, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Suffering can unveil, unveil, first of all, more deep-seated attachments we might have to things. Things that might absorb our time, our attention, mm -hmm. our energy. These can even be really good things, but we can become slightly absorbed by them. Things that maybe keep us from other good things or even greater things like our relationships with others or with God. Uh, an example, maybe I want to be very good at my job and so I'm tempted to be answering emails on my phone in the evening when my kids want my attention and they're mm -hmm. pulling on my pant leg <laughs> as I'm at home. Uh, attachments hurt when we're forced to detach and suffering can be a moment uh, where we realize we have these attachments, it's almost like Christ is just ripping the Band-Aid off of the infected wound and then disinfecting it for us so he can heal it. Sometimes the suffering may even be the lack of the very thing we are attached to. Netflix isn't working one night and I become grumpy uh, towards you know, people I love. Or food we can't eat when we're sick. I remember, maybe this is TMI, but being on the brat diet for three weeks and I hated bananas and bread. I just, I realized how attached I was to the great foods we were surrounded by mm -hmm. and wanted to be comforted by them. Moments of suffering can also reveal our lack of virtue too. Uh, in ways we may not see when things are going well or smoothly. For instance, when we're sick, we might feel uncharitable or lack love towards those we're around, or we may fall into certain vices. Mm -hmm. There's a, uh, uh, you know, the best example I can think of this actually is something that happened uh, surrounding my kids' Cub Scout projects being due. It seems like I always discover my lack of virtue when Cub Scout projects are due because <laughs> we're doing these last minute. My yep. kids are crawling into the back of the van with these projects that have wet paint on them and they're, they've got it on themselves. They're getting it all over the back of the van. We're all frustrated. 
Uh, we they had boat races not mm, too long ago. Yeah. I think this was last February in the middle of winter, and we waited last minute to get these done, of course. And I wanted my kids. You know, I didn't want their boats to sink, and I didn't want them to put their boats in the water and have the paint just kind of leak all over and turn the water blue. <laughs> so I'm trying to spray my kids' boats with these coats of lacquer the day that that the boat races are. Mm-hmm. So I get up early in the morning. And I help my wife get off. She had to go somewhere with all the kids. I help her and all the kids get off. And then I, I myself have to be off to a school. We in School of Faith, we go to schools on in-service days and mm-hmm. spend time. We get to spend less to spend time with faculties. So I'm running out of the garage. I got to get ready and I got to get off to this school. And I'm spraying a coat of lacquer and I'm running back upstairs. And uh, I iron and do some other things. Uh, run back downstairs into the garage, spray a coat of lacquer, run back upstairs, take a shower, throw on a pair of underwear, sorry for the visual, run back downstairs out of the garage, spray a coat of lacquer, go to run back in, and the garage door is locked. Oh, shoot. Worst design ever, right? The garage, the the knob that will let you out and doesn't indicate that it's locked but oh, won't let no. you back in. I guess I was feeling a little vulnerable getting <laughs> in the shower. I locked the door on the way back in. So there I am out in the garage. I've got to be to this school. I have no keys, no phone, no one's home except my German shepherd who's smart but not smart enough to open the door Doesn't for me. Doesn't have any thumbs. Uh, no pants. I realize that I do have one neighbor home. She's just down the street, mm. but she's a young mother, uh, newborn, and um, she's the only one that I can think of who's home in our block at this time. So I'm like, if I can just find something to put on, I can go use her <laughs> phone. So I search the garage and all I can find are some old t-shirts I'd thrown out there to be rags, right? No pants. So anyway, I'm starting to eye this roll of landscape fabric in the corner. I'm like, you know, if I just wrap myself in that a couple of times, maybe that'll be good. And I thought, no, that's terrible, right? I walk over to this young woman. I don't even know her that well. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing in her entryway. She's holding her baby. I'm using her phone and, lands- and I'm only wrapped in landscape fabric. And what if her husband shows up as I'm leaving? How scandalous is that? So finally, I look around the garage, and my, of course, it's full of tools. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not a man if I can't break into my own house with all of these tools. So I go at the doorknob, and I can only get at it from one direction with a hacksaw. And, I'm, oh, and I had tried taking the door apart, door jam apart and some other things, but it mm-hmm. wasn't helping. So I start to saw at this door, and it's taking me forever. And the passion of anger is starting to well up within mm-hmm. me as I do this. And anger blinds us. It's one of the things this vice does to reality. So this anger's welling up in me. And all of a sudden, my wife's name is Carrie. And I didn't tell her this for the longest time because I was so embarrassed about this. The anger's welling up. And all of a sudden, I'm like, this is somehow Carrie's fault. My wife's not even home. I've locked myself half new in the garage. And I'm blaming my wife for it. I stopped, stopped and said, no, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I keep sawing away at the doorknob. Five minutes later, this is somehow Carrie's fault, right? I'm just losing a grip on reality. Finally, I'm too tired to saw. I did that three times. I'm too tired to saw. I take a step back from the knob. And I said, Lord, you've got to be kidding me. I wanted to help my wife, be a good husband, and help my wife get off this morning on time. And I wanted to be a good father by finishing their Cub Scout project. I don't know if that actually makes me a good father that I was half doing their their scouting project for them. But nevertheless, I was trying to help them out. And I'm trying to be a good disciple of yours by going in and and just having some great conversation with Catholic faculty so we can have some great conversation together about you this morning. 
and you locked me in the garage. I totally felt like Adam in the garden, right? Yes. All my vices <laughs> is coming to, to bear, and, uh, and here I am blaming my wife and God in the moment of my own sin. But I realized some things that, that morning, and this turned into a great gift for me, this little bit of suffering I experienced this morning. It was a little bit of suffering. First of all, I realized I was attached to control. I have this vice, I want to be in control, and when I'm not, it produces the vice of anger, which I knew I already had. And then on top of that, not only being attached to control, I realized for the first time, though I'd probably done it for a decade, that I blamed my wife for things that were not her fault. Mm -hmm. It was one of my vices. And that's been such a gift to our marriage, our Lord allowing me to lock myself in the garage for that 45 minutes so that I could realize that. So. I share a funny story about suffering. We can see the fruits of it, our attachments, and our lack of virtue comes to light. Of course, I know that other people, we know that other people suffer much more and in much greater ways than we do because they're suffering or they're watching like Our Lady at the Cross, mm -hmm. someone they love suffer. Chloe, if you're willing to share, and, I, and I'm curious, is there maybe a suffering you've experienced, maybe a way that our Lord has used it to transform you because you were open to it. Yeah, so it's beautiful that we started this episode out by talking about the Martins. Um, so I shared how earlier how I'm this reluctant St. Therese lover, but it wasn't until about a year and a half ago that I came across the story of Louis and Zelie, Therese's parents. I knew Therese had parents and I knew she had siblings. Joseph and I got married a year and a half ago in January. We got married and we went to Chicago for our honeymoon in the middle of January. And everyone was like, oh, you're crazy. You should go to the islands or you should go down south. But we decided to pack parkas and go to Chicago. So we go to Chicago and we wander around for about a week. And we come home and live life for a couple weeks as a newly married couple. And we find out that we're pregnant with a honeymoon baby. So wow. pumped. Just so excited. I come from a big family with eight kids. And I was excited to be a parent with Joseph. And we were we loved it. We tell, call our family members and like we brought home a souvenir from Chicago and tell them all. And this is during the middle of Lent. So we decide to wait until Easter to share this with our extended family. What good news yeah. to share. Yeah, exactly. Do you like that Easter At joy, Easter. new life, this beautiful gift. We're getting, we're going along. The pregnancy is going great. We hit the eight week appointment and we go in to hear the baby's heartbeat for the first time. And Joseph goes with me because we're new parents and everything is a first. We go into this appointment and are on the sonogram table and the doctor's looking around and he can't find a heartbeat. Originally, he's very optimistic. He talks about how he just had a couple in the week before who had that same thing and they were just too early to hear a heartbeat. We went in for a couple other sonograms in the hospital and they told us to come back two weeks later to see if we could find, maybe we were just too early. We go back home and we decide to tell everyone about our baby. We don't wait till Easter just because we knew that despite what happened, like this was our, this was our baby and we wanted to treat him with dignity. Oh. So we call all of our friends um, who had known about the baby and also those who didn't and asked just for a ton of prayers. During this time of going through the, the wondering, like, is everything okay with my baby? Everything can feel like you're very alone. Why me? Why me? And just like that, why would you have us go through this, Lord? Like we're the Catholic mm -hmm. couple and we want to raise this baby in your church. And why is this going on? So we pray just for God's will and that he'll bring us to a day of baptism for our baby. The next Saturday comes, we're at a week mark, halfway through this waiting period for going in for another sonogram, and we go through a miscarriage that Saturday morning mm -hmm. um, on March 25th. So 
We lose Marion. We name him Marion, our son. Beautiful name. Yeah, I loved it. It was something that we had thought of way before we thought we'd have to name him this early. And so it means the child who was wished for. Um, but it also means a sea of sorrow thrown into this as a young couple three months into marriage and we're going through this loss. But what I realize in the ER where we're going through the miscarriage is that this isn't something that I'm only going through. Throughout that day, we were there. I met, with the exception of one, every person who helped me in the hospital had experienced a miscarriage as well. Whether it was the EMT who drove me to the hospital, my doctor, the woman who took my blood, It was very much a, this is, you're not alone in this. So just a reassurance of that suffering is not, you're not alone in your suffering. So then the next few weeks we're processing this grief. And the question that I'm constantly asking myself is why, why Lord, why me? So I, I love the saints. I've had a long time relationship with a lot of beautiful saints, but none of the saints who I was friends with also had gone through this. So I started doing some research, like surely I'm not the only person Hmm. Or that I'm not the only one who's all, there's got to be someone in heaven pulling for me who's also been through this. Um, and the Martins lost children, many of their children. Hmm. And so I found Zelly through a quote that a friend had sent me where she says, we'll, we'll see our little ones up above, oh. which is beautiful. And I loved that, how she, a woman who has, who in her diary asks God why he's asking her to suffer so greatly. Um, a woman who suffers greatly herself with breast cancer as she passes away and loses is doesn't get to grow up with her little people um and Mm. so getting to know her so the martins have a special place in my heart when it comes to suffering um and i think beautifully like redemptive suffering through my life has had a twofold purpose so the first has been a marion was eight weeks when he passed away so he's like the size of a garden pea and super little but it's so beautiful to see this little boy and his missionary spirit and how Marion's life as a witness to hope. And so whether it's been, I've had friends who pray to Marion on a regular basis. Mm. I pray to Marion. He's a great heaven incentive. I am pumped to get to heaven um, and see my little boy. But I think the huge turning point for me was when I stopped asking God, why did you take him? And started thanking God for taking my son in. Mm. And how it's easy to look at suffering and to assume that God is doing this because he doesn't love you but instead to realize that God suffers with us. And that's the beauty of the incarnation, how God comes into us, into our bodies through the Eucharist, but also through the incarnation and takes on the weight of all of our suffering. Not only do I have St. Zelie and the Martins who know my pain, but I also have Jesus who knows that pain, not because he's a mother and not because he's lost a baby, but because he experienced that pain on the cross and he knows what that feels like. Mm. Just the beauty of being able to thank God for that, not for a miscarriage, because I would give anything to hold my baby, but for the ability that my Catholic faith has given me to look through this lens of hope, how hard it is to go through life with purposeless suffering, Mm. but instead how this opportunity as a newly married couple to be able to go through an experience of recognizing that God offers hope. That's the Martins for me. They are a gem. I love that family. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing Thanks that for the opportunity. story with yeah. me and with us. Yeah. I w- when we were reading mm. through this to prep, I saw the Martins in the first sentence. And I was like, oh. And I read it on a Thursday, which was their feast day. Yes. And just being oh, reminded wow. of their beautiful friendship. So thanks for bringing them back into my life. It's always so good to, to meet other people who they love the Martins so too. so good for us. Uh-huh. So good to us. Like you said earlier, yeah. they seek us out, don't they? They do. They are befriending they do. us. 
Thank you for sharing that. Ours yeah. is Cecilia, and we too, and our kiddos ask her to pray yeah. for us. Yeah, they're Ours beautiful intercessors. Yeah. yeah, pulling for us. How about in your life, Dave? Do you regularly face suffering? Can you share if, if you've seen the Lord at work in your daily life when you've been able to offer up suffering to him as well? Migraines. Mm. Uh, those started for me in second grade. And um, special education in a Catholic school then, I think, was the janitor building, uh, taking a desk and taking plywood and building three walls and moving me to the back of the room because I was getting a D in spelling, oh, right? no. And then I went off for this testing. Anyway, I, I have nothing but good memories looking back on all of that. But... Um, but the migraines, uh, were difficult and persisted and, uh, made me ask why quite often. And then, um, more recently in my life, I've discovered them as a, a gift, things I can offer to others, but it's really difficult because I watch, uh, when I get them, I, and, and I can medicate some of them away, but, mm-hmm. uh, watching my wife suffer that day because I can't help her or be yeah. present or my children and I can't be with them in the way they'd like. Uh, so those have been a powerful experience for me that Christ has not taken away, but yet I found it a gift and uh, and transforming. It's always allowed me something to offer up for those mm-hmm. that I love, my wife, my kids, yeah. others that I'm thinking about. Yeah, that's beautiful how that even though in a moment where you may not be able to be physically present due to pain, you can still offer something up for them, though. I think it's good to recognize here that Christ is our model Mm -hmm. in the Garden of Gethsemane when we are suffering, no matter what we're suffering. And he takes that suffering and he says, Father, allow this, the cup of this passion, my suffering to pass, yet not my will be done, but your own. We can ask for this suffering to pass. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to remember. And he often will heal us of things or repair things. But at the same time, he will allow some of these things. And that just helps our will align with his and and allows us to trust him that will work it for our best, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, very much so. In the Catholic Church, are there seasons that we're encouraged intentionally to offer things up when it comes to suffering in the liturgical year as well? Wow, great question. So obviously Lent. Yep. And then we've got Advent, mm. which is kind of a half Lent, a pen, <laughs> another penitential season. But every Friday, the yeah. church is saying, do some penance. We can take on some sacrifice and some penance. It's good for us. It trains us in virtue. We say no to a good thing mm-hmm. so that later on when we're tempted to try to obtain that good thing in a, in a poor way or at the expense of another good thing, we're more well-trained to say no. The early Christians called this asceticism, and they took it from the Greek word ascesis, which was used to describe athletes in training. Mm. When Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's sweating light, great drops of blood. Appropriately, the physician, the gospel writer Luke, tells us, which was a medical condition that my grandfather actually suffered. Wow. Uh, It was called runner's agony. Marathon Mm -hmm. runners in that time would train so intensely for their marathon, their performance in, in their run, their life may depend upon their performance. Yeah. So they trained intensely, and sometimes they would sweat blood. And so we see Christ's own preparation for his passion in the garden and the early christians saw that kind of training as something we christians should be going through and so every friday we can do penance we can sacrifice we can fast do something like that uh, to help us train ourselves for this battle that we're in we are truly in a battle and uh, we can be well trained for that 
we wanted to offer listeners an opportunity here in this podcast too to reflect on suffering. Can you kind of walk us through how to reflect on suffering in our own life and the ability to offer it up for others? Great. We all are suffering something right now, no doubt. Mm. Why don't we offer it up? And we all have somebody in our heart that we want to pray for. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let's all just take a, a quick moment to think about the thing that's going on in our life that we do not like, cannot change, and did not choose. And then let's take a moment to think of someone or some situation in our life or in the world who really needs our prayers right now. And Lord, for the sake of that person or that situation, we offer this which we suffer for them. We ask that you help them. We ask that you heal our suffering. But let not our will be done, but your own. Thank you, Father, for this gift from your very cross. Amen. Saints Louis and Zelie and Therese. Pray for us. Our friends, pray for us. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit.